I have Aaron Day on the other line here. Aaron is fat for weight loss on social media. And if you haven't subscribed to his YouTube channel or any of his Instagram, you're missing out. So make sure you do that. You're going to want to after you hear this episode. Um, Aaron is out in Australia. So you get to listen to his lovely accent <laughs> on this episode. And he uh, makes simple keto recipes, easy keto meal plans. He's a nutritional therapist and a clinical weight loss practitioner. And um, his Instagram makes me want to go make treats every single time I see a post pop up. So thanks a lot, Aaron, for uh, <laughs> making me always want treats. It, everything looks so good. And I'm just, I'm so happy to have you here. Um, and I was wondering if you could just start out and tell us how you got started in this whole keto world. Yeah, fantastic. Well, you know, um, thank you, first of all, Tara, for having me on the podcast, because I'm, I'm super excited. I, I don't usually get to do this side of a podcast. I'm usually the one asking the questions. So <laughs> it's uh, it's really nice to be able to, you know, talk to an audience as well, which is fantastic. But I got started on the ketogenic diet uh, simply through exercise. Now, a lot of people start the ketogenic diet, whether it's like they're trying to optimize their nutrition to maybe lose the last five kilos or something like that. But I sort of did it in a bit of a backwards um, <laughs> a, 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 a backwards trend because I was a cyclist at the time, uh, still am cycling, not quite as much, but I was training for a lot of really um, long events. So I was doing things like 250Ks on a day uh, and and I just got so sick and tired of bonking and what bonking <laughs> is. Now, if anyone doesn't know um, and they haven't heard of that term before, it's nothing to do with being in bed. It uh, has everything to do with your blood sugar levels dropping so low that your body cannot function anymore. And it just, you know, simply means that uh, a, or a lot of athletes prevent themselves from doing, you know, going into that stage is that uh, they they intake what's called gels or sugar and that sort of stuff. So I got, I got really sick and tired of like constantly just filling my body with sugar and caffeine and everything um, just to be able to like stay on a bike. And I thought this this doesn't feel right. This doesn't, you know, this this isn't what we were meant to do. And and when you get to the end of a race or a you know a one day event and you're just shaking, <laughs> um, because you know obviously because of the long distance, but also because you've just pumped your body full of sugar and caffeine and whatever. And so um, I looked into the ketogenic diet. And initially, I was um, pretty interested in what Dominic D'Agostino did. Uh, specifically when he was talking to uh, Tim Ferriss on the Tim Ferriss show uh, and I heard about the ketogenic diet and I thought, okay, this 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 sounds interesting. I'm going to give it a try. Um, and when I first gave it a try, it was terrible. <laughs> it was the worst <laughs> thing ever because I did it all wrong. I made every single mistake in the book um, because no one, no one knew all of these mistakes. And like uh, there's not as much knowledge. Well, there wasn't as much knowledge then as there is now. Um, and so I, I fell off the, fell off the bandwagon, so to speak, and then came back on uh, a, a few weeks later and just tried to take it a bit slower, made sure that I was getting a lot of electrolytes. And, um, also I had to change a little bit of my training a little bit, but we can talk about that later, but that's how I sort of got started on the ketogenic diet. Um, and then I started you know, creating meal plans for other people because they were like, hmm, you know, you're, you're doing this ketogenic thing, this new fandangle thing that's going around. Can you teach me how to do it as well? And I thought, yeah, of course, definitely. And so I started making meal plans for all of the people I used to work with. Um, and yeah, it just sort of spiraled out of control from there. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, so let's hit on that. How did you change your training when you switched to keto? Yeah, sure. So 
Um, the group that I ride or that I was riding with at the time, um, they had a really bad habit of going 100% every single ride. Every single training ride <laughs> was just full on. <laughs> um, and they would they would adjust the amount of effort that was required by the distance you were going. So even if it was what we, we call the river loop here, it was about you know 30 Ks or maybe I think that's probably about 15 miles, not, not very far, um, we would just absolutely hammer it the entire yeah. way because you're like well you know it's not it's not that far you just got to go as fast as you can but the problem <laughs> with that is that when you start hitting those really high vo2 max levels you're tapping into so much so much um glycogen or so much mm -hmm. uh, sugar and carbohydrate energy that's really hard for your body to be able to switch to that fat burning zone um and so i had to uh, I, I effectively burnt out um, and I had to leave the group and go and train by myself and train in what's called the Maffetone zone for, you know, close to three months. And then I was able to come back stronger and fitter than ever um, and, you know, sort of complete training that way. But yeah, I think, and a lot of people have this same mistake as well. They switch to the ketogenic diet and they're so used to just hammering every single right. training ride, every single, you know, training run. Um, you know, it, it, it can be a big problem and it leads like that in itself is very, very stressful. So you have to step out and, and do your own thing for a little while and then come back and you'll be uh, way fitter and way stronger than you ever were before. But it just takes time. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's I um, we have this commonality and we'll talk about your marathon experience in a minute, but I was so used to just like running my brains out, like running, you know, I'm running full marathons as fast as I physically can. Right. Mm. And so when I switched to keto and at that time I was at my peak, I was at my fastest. I had just run like a six 30 pace half marathon, um, and had just qualified for the Boston marathon. And so switching to keto, I was like, what the heck? I can't run fast. And I was very, yeah. I was very impatient with it. And, um, I did end up training for Boston and running Boston and ketosis, but it was that thing. It was hard for me to like, uh, let my little ego down and run slow for a minute. So for that reason, I kind of want to redo a marathon in ketosis. Cause I was like, yeah, just stubborn. And I was still trying to run as fast as I could. And if I could go back, I would have done a lot slower training runs and just let my body ease into that fatty acid utilization a little more. Mm -hmm. Um, but I want to ask you, cause you ended up, when did you decide? I saw when I first found your stuff, I found you on YouTube. I was like, Oh, this is cool. And I saw that you were like, I'm going to run, I'm going to like up and run a marathon <laughs> in ketosis. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so intrigued. Um, <laughs> so I was following your videos on there. And so I'll, I, I'll let you tell it, but what, first of all, like, why did you decide to do it? How long did you train and how did that pan out for you? Yeah, cool. Okay. So, um, the, the marathon race has sort of had a little bit of history, uh, in, in, I guess my, <laughs> so my partner, she, uh, looks after a lot of the elite athletes that, that run at the Gold Coast marathon. So oh, people cool. who come over from Kenya, people who come from Japan, um, she, she looks after those people and make sure that, you know, they can have the best run they possibly can. And a lot of those athletes are qualifying for the Olympics, or yeah. those types of things. And so I met a lot of those people um, and cool. they were just the, like some of them were, were just the coolest people ever. And I thought, you know what, one day I'm going to run a marathon. And uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so that, that, that was the, the kind of the gist behind that. But okay. I'd, done, I'd done 5Ks and 10Ks um, before. Like I think 
um, when I got burnt out from from cycling so hard and I, and I came back, I was like, okay, well, you know, that's cycling. How can I apply this to running as well? Um, and so I, I always loved going on like really, really long hikes, really long, uh, just <laughs> – as, as far as you can walk in a day, do it. <laughs> and and so I thought, well, mm-hmm. if I could do that and just run it, that would be that would be pretty efficient. Um, so I <laughs> sort of got into running, and I got into trying to get a really fast five k and ten k. Um, mm-hmm. And that I wasn't always doing that in a ketogenic state. So when I decided to do the full marathon in a ketogenic state, um, that was where I I it was a, a pretty big turning point for me because I'd done half marathons prior to that as well. So I'd done three half marathons. I'd done, you know, lots of 5K and 10K races, but never the full marathon. Um, so I didn't have a, a, I didn't have a baseline pace that I wanted to hit again. So I, 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 I sort of came from the, the reverse angle mm-hmm. saying like, I, I didn't have anything to prove. I, I wasn't trying to right. be a PR. I just wanted to do it in a ketogenic state. And, you know, I'd love to do one in a non-ketogenic state, um, but, you know, training for a marathon <laughs> is also pretty hard. Um, yeah. So I had, I, in the lead up to that, to that decision, like I'm, I'm pretty, um, I don't give myself a lot of time with these things. So I had 12 weeks um, and I initially made the decision at 16 weeks and then I started training. And I was like, no, no this is going to be ketogenic. Let's do it in 12 weeks and let's build it up. And so I was doing lots of uh, long runs basically in a heart rate zone where I knew that I was burning more fat than, than glucose. And I was doing uh, those long runs and then I was doing like a, a, a medium tempo run. And that tempo run was trying to sit at that threshold and trying to increase that threshold over the 12 weeks. And then I was doing sprints. So uh, you know, 400 meter, uh, quarter mile, that sort of stuff. Um, and that was how I was training probably about three runs a week, um, on top of like, you know, other just strength-based activity. But yeah, Yeah. I think, um, I got to the marathon and I probably could have been more prepared for the longer distance aspect of it because, you know, when, when you're training a lot of those longer runs, (laughs) they, you can't always fit them in because 30 Ks takes, it, it just takes like five or six hours of sitting in that really low heart rate zone. Um, right. So like, as you said, uh, you, you, you just want to run as fast as you can. And, <laughs> and unfortunately, <laughs> when you're training for a marathon in a ketogenic state, that's like the worst thing that, mm-hmm. that you can do because your body doesn't get adapted to it. Um, there's a book right. that Mark Sisson wrote, and I think it's Mark Sisson and Brad Kearns, and it's called Endurance. And they go into uh, a lot of the specifics behind, uh, you know, running in a slow pace and how your pace will build up, build up over time. So instead yeah, of primal uh, endurance, primal endurance. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was, I, I read that book a long time ago, but that was a big uh, influence on what I was doing in the, in the training lead up. So running the Gold Coast marathon, super flat. It's, it's really fast. Like it's one of those, races that people are trying to break the two-hour marathon on as well (laughs) um but uh i i think i finished uh doing it in four and a half hours or or, or something like that yeah not not as definitely nowhere near as fast as the elite elite athletes but definitely a lot of fun 
probably more fun what? than they're having, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's about how long it took me to run my Boston Marathon in ketosis um, was about four and a half hours, which was interesting because I had just run, I had qualified for Boston um, at 317. So, mm. I mean, yeah. it was significantly slower <laughs> in, in ketosis, but I also wanted to enjoy my Boston experience. I wasn't really um, pushing for time. I was more in it for the experience, but that's interesting. That was my experience too. And it's funny you bring up primal endurance because I had read that book when I started training for Boston and ketosis. And I was like, all right, all right. I, I hear you, Mark. I love Mark. Like, it's like a running joke. I see him at a lot of conferences and events and it's like, everybody knows Tara loves Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like, it's almost hilarious. <laughs> um, I just, he, I so resonate with his um, approach to metabolic yeah. flexibility and all that. So I was talking to him about my experience training for a marathon and ketosis and I was like, man, I, I like, I tried, I did at first I did. I was like, I'm going to run really slow, really slow. Um, and I just didn't notice much improvement from that. And so I asked him about it and he kind of asked me a bunch of questions and picked at it. And he's like, honestly, it sounds like you're fine. Like you, <laughs> you sounds like you did just fine. Like the way you were doing it. So, but I, I still, I kind of want to redo. I don't know about you. I want like a redo on a, a marathon where I can take like, I don't know, maybe four months to really adapt to running in that ketogenic state before I hit the marathon. So maybe someday. <laughs> yeah. I, well, first of all, I can't believe you spoke to Mark Sisson. That's awesome. <laughs> um, oh, and, I know, right? And, 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 and it's interesting that, um, yeah, I think four months would definitely improve that time. The, the only issue is, is that when you, uh, when you're part of a group or part of a running, you know, community, uh, a lot of, uh, again, like a lot of people just go out and, and, and run as fast as they possibly can. Um, and, and that isn't always the best way to, to train for this type of thing. And a lot of people come to me and say, Hey, you know, I've been running all my life. Uh, I've decided to do this marathon and I'm going to do it in a ketogenic state. I've got four weeks. How do you, how <laughs> is it going to work? And I'm like, it's not going to work. You, you don't do it. <laughs> um, and you know, it would be interesting to see whether that four months lead up would have a yeah. big difference, but also you know, maybe fueling strategies on the day could yeah. um, could be improved because there's not a lot of uh, science there either. I guess that there's a lot when it's when it comes down to just no fuel. Um, but what what will push someone's performance in a ketogenic state? I don't. I haven't actually done any research on this, so <laughs> you may have. Um, but there, yeah, it would be interesting to see what would actually push the envelope there. Yeah, I think it's it's so individual, right? Like on how your body is responding to keto. Because like I have a client right now who is an ultra endurance runner, and um, we have her using you can starch ketones and electrolytes during her runs, and she's like, I feel amazing. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, I feel like I. She's like, I almost feel like I'm on like Adderall or something. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> she's loving it. Her performance is enhanced. Whereas I did the same thing, and that was a good approach for me. Like it did make me feel really good on those training runs. So I do kind of advise that if anybody's doing endurance stuff, maybe trying that out. Um, but for, for the most part, it's been interesting to see how different, like my different clients respond to keto versus carbs or skinny. So that's why it's so important to self-experiment on that, I think. And, and also like, I'm still, even though I can run faster in a non-ketogenic state so far, like I'm not opposed to trying it again and trying a different strategy and see what happens, you know? <laughs> so mm, yeah, definitely. It's, it's fun to play with. Well, okay. A, oh, go oh, ahead. 
um, I, I was going to say on the on the topic of self experimentation. Um, here in Australia, we can't actually get you can superstarch, or you can, but it's extremely oh, really? expensive. Um, and and so I was like, okay, what are the main ingredients in in it? It's <laughs> essentially starch. Uh, mm-hmm. So I I got the corn flour out of the cupboard. <laughs> yeah. Um, tested my ketones and blood sugar levels after taking 30 grams of, uh, which is one ounce, um, of this stuff just mixed in water. And really interestingly, I did not get kicked out of ketosis and my blood uh-huh. sugar levels only raised 10, uh, 10 points, which is which is next to nothing. Um, and so that was really interesting for me. I haven't used, um, you know, just corn flour because it's probably not the best thing to be using, but the difference between corn flour and can starch may not be as much as we think. So I don't know yeah. all the scientific benefits behind can starch, but it's extremely expensive in Australia. So if there, any, if there are any Australians listening to it, um, just, try it out. just try it out for yourself. It might work. I love that. Yeah. Another thing that I've actually played with, um, with myself and with clients is um, Chris Cresser actually has an excellent article on resistant starch. And so he talks about boiling and then cooling potatoes and using that as a resistant starch. And so I've done that with clients post-workout on in ketosis and they always stay in. And so have I, so that's another option is just like, you know, boil up a big bag of a little, those little mini organic potatoes and then just cool them, pop them in your fridge get done with your workout. Just throw some salt on there and pop a few, you know, and Mm. that's, that's been effective. In my experience yeah. too. So then, then you yeah. get to eat some potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, it's so interesting to like push into the to the realm of what carbohydrates will actually kick you out of ketosis because especially post-workout, your insulin levels are through the, through the roof. And so if you're trying to get energy into your muscles, uh, mm-hmm. I know Thomas DeLauer talks a, about, a lot about this as well. You've got the, the glucose pathway and the fructose pathway. Uh-huh. And so I've been experimenting a little bit with um, with bananas post-workout because they're generally a mix of both. <laughs> um, now, this is all just experimental stuff, but that doesn't kick me out of ketosis either. So, really? Yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some really interesting stuff going on, and it could be because I've been keto-adapted now for about four years, but – that yeah, there's there's a lot of things that just don't add up. Where if you test it on yourself, you go, hmm, that's interesting. So yeah, it's yeah. great to test on yourself too. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I just interviewed um, Thomas two days ago, and he was talking about that. So if oh, anybody no listening to this wants to, yeah, he, the whole episode is about targeted keto and having carbs post workout and how you can experiment with that. So if anybody listening wants to hear more from Thomas on that, it was really really good. So that's pretty cool. Um, okay, let's. Uh, sorry, let me cut you off. Let's talk about um, food. <laughs> because um, I feel like it would be a shame not to start talking about the what I deem as your strength, and that is making food taste amazing on keto. And so I was wondering if you have some tips for people, especially with the desserts, because um, I'll be honest with you. I When I first started coaching keto, I was like, okay, I am going to come up with like the best keto baking recipes ever. I'm going to make the best keto cookies. Everyone's going to go nuts. <laughs> And after like three tries, I was like, nope, that is definitely <laughs> not in my future. Never mind. <laughs> so um, could you maybe give us some tips, especially for people who want to make ketogenic treats, which I'm not opposed to at all. I mean, we all need that. And if it's versus, you know, that versus a donut <laughs> at mm. this at the gas station or something, like, come on, like, let's fill our bodies with real ingredients. So like, what tips do you have? I guess we'll start with desserts on like, how do you make them taste so good and look so good? 
Oh, yeah, cool. Okay, so um, that like there's a little bit of psychology behind this because I was really interested as to why uh, the desserts and the breads and, you know, those types of things were doing so well as a recipe. So um, I would put up, you know, all different types of recipes and and uh, a lot of people would just tend to gravitate towards either the desserts or, or the breads. <laughs> and, um, and, I, and I really wanted to dig into why that was. And so there was a lot of people saying, you know, I, I've switched to the ketogenic diet, but I've really, um, you know, the, the, the carb cravings are just something that I cannot dismiss. Um, and so for whatever mm-hmm. reason, that it's it's really handy to have a keto-friendly alternative around. So when, you know, something happens or uh, if your family's all eating ice cream and you go, oh, damn, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I want ice cream mm-hmm. too. And so let's, let me make up some keto-friendly ice cream. And so, yeah. You know, that, that's the kind of psychology behind why I think keto desserts are totally okay. Um, but, you know, when it comes to actually making them, I am a total sweet tooth and I've, I've been, I haven't been cooking my entire life, but I know what a good dessert tastes like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so uh, my partner, she's not keto, but I do still make a lot of non-keto stuff to just to just see what it's like compared to the keto version. So I think that's that's probably one trick of the trade is that if you don't remember what something tastes like because you've been keto for so long, <laughs> then it's good to sometimes like compare it to the actual thing. So for instance, like chocolate chip cookies. If I'm trying to make the best chocolate chip cookies ever, um, then I need to compare it to the best chocolate chip cookies ever because it's not going to like, you know, there's always keto treats out there where it's like, you know, these these cookies are just the absolute best and they're the best in the world and the best (laughs) is like best in like 20 different times. And you try them and they're they're like, "Mm, they're not the best. (laughs) Um, You're just really hard up for a treat. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, and so you need to I think. understanding some of the different ingredients and how they combine are the, are going to be the best ways to create really, uh, really uh, like very similar desserts to what they should taste like. But that's one side of the spectrum. There's also the side of the spectrum where people just want something sweet and they really don't care for being in the kitchen that long. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's, you know, there's fat, bom- fat bombs are actually one of the easiest ones to do on the ketogenic diet because usually it's like either coconut oil or um, cream cheese or, you know, something like I've got some chocolate covered cream cheese fat bombs on my website. Um, they're super easy and the, you, you literally get one of those 12 mini cupcake uh, trays and you don't have to do any measuring. You just you just put all the stuff in it and mix it in there and it's done. And you put it in the freezer and that's like the easiest thing ever. And they're probably one of the most popular recipes on my website is just because mm-hmm. it's easy. Um, but, you know, then again, like there's chocolate chip cookies where, the, you know, you're using almond flour, using uh, xanthan gum, or you're using, uh, you know, sugar-free chocolate chips. And, and a lot of people don't like that because they don't know where to find those ingredients. Um, but then some people do. So, you know, there's a, e- even in the dessert world, there's like a whole bunch of there's a spectrum of, <laughs> of different people. But um, we can talk about, you know, some of the flowers and the, and the binding agents and that sort of stuff. But depends on how deep you want to go, because I don't I'm not sure whether your listeners are like I love basic or I love complicated. Okay, well, I'm going to be selfish and I'm just going to ask and hopefully people (laughs) what I'm looking for and hopefully people can resonate. But one of the biggest things I find when like making ketogenic treats, because I do like to make them for my kids, just because like, I want to have that, you know, baking experience, let's make a treat Friday night, watch movies or whatever, but I don't want to pump them full of crap. So like one of the things that I've noticed they 
like what kind of makes or breaks the keto treat for them or like a sugar-free treat is that cooling effect that you get from erythritol. Um, how do you manage that? So it doesn't, you know, turn so cold in your mouth and feel kind of like this empty hollow treat. Do you have any tips for that? <laughs> yeah, um, uh, definitely. So I, I think uh, using erythritol, you should really only use it in a particular circumstance. So when you're trying to replicate the physical qualities of sugar, that's when you use erythritol. So um, for instance, uh, now erythritol doesn't work in this case, but if you're trying to make fortune cookies, when you melt sugar, and it hardens again, it will harden really crisp, like it goes solid. Whereas something like stevia or monk fruit by themselves, they don't have that quality. They don't mm -hmm. melt and they don't like stiffen. Um, so it's it's really hard to try and you know, just use uh, either stevia or monk fruit for that. So that was where that is where you would use erythritol. But again, erythritol doesn't solidify quite as much as sugar does. So you won't get those crisp the crispy edged um, cookies or those types of things. But when you're trying to identify, uh, like uh, replicate sugar in its physical qualities, that is where you will use erythritol. And erythritol also um, has like a bulking type agent to it. So, and essentially what that means is that if you're trying to make cookies with stevia um, and they, you know, you roll them up and you put them on a baking sheet and you put them in the oven, they'll go rock hard because mm. they don't melt um, and they, you know, they, they don't have the, the volume that something like erythritol does. So one teaspoon of stevia or monk fruit equals one cup of sugar or, <laughs> uh, you know, like a, a cup and a bit of erythritol because erythritol is not quite as sweet as sugar. But when, you, when it comes to sugar alcohols, things like um, erythritol, things like uh, glycerin, glycerin is also a, a sugar alcohol, but it's just in a liquid form and it's generally paired with things like vanilla extract, you know, those types of things. Um, those are the only two sugar alcohols that will not spike your blood sugar levels. Um, there, there have been uh, people who are sort of experimenting with allulose as well, um, but allulose isn't considered a food item here in Australia, so you mm. can't actually get it. <laughs> um, oh, and, 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 and all of the sugar alcohols, they will give you some, um, some really terrible digestion uh, interference because of you know because there's so much fiber in it because there's so much stuff that your body can't digest it just needs to get rid of it as, as soon as possible but that that cooling feeling um what you can do if you are trying to replicate the physical properties of sugar and you still need to use erythritol then you can either pair it with stevia or monk fruit and something happens there when you pair the bitterness from stevia with the cooling effect of of erythritol and there's a lot of companies doing doing this where they sort of cancel each other out. But I think the better combination is using erythritol paired with monk fruit because monk fruit is probably one of the best sweeteners out there because it doesn't doesn't really have any taste at all. It's just sweet. It's sweet like, like sugar. If you don't use it in excess, uh, it's, it's very, very uh, sweet and it's very similar to sugar in that respect. So pairing it with erythritol, you can actually really cut down the amount of erythritol you're using um, but still use something like monk fruit that's that's quite sweet but doesn't have a bitter taste much like stevia. So pairing that's erythritol a and idea. monk fruit, yeah, it's that that combination often works, uh, you know, nine times out of ten when it comes to trying to get someone into the ketogenic diet via treats. <laughs> and I, I yeah. always get, you know, the, the Instagram stories from some of my readers and they go, oh, mum, 
it tastes real, you know. <laughs> it just tastes real, and you go, "Wow, yeah, that's that's pretty cool." And 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 so when you pair those two together, um, that's probably the best way if you need to be using erythritol. But again, like if you want to use the uh, stevia monk fruit, um, or even just the sweetness from berries, that works as well. Wow, I love that. And yeah, if you guys want, just you want Aaron to just show you how to do it. I was like perusing through the dessert section of your website, which is fatforweightloss.com.au. If anybody's looking, I'm just like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> You're like your salted caramel cheesecake and your brownies. Oh, yeah. I'm like, good night. <laughs> how can those, you know, like it's, it's amazing. I, you know, some people are like, Hey, you know, it's not good to reap. You should just only be eating meat and vegetables and like not switch over your unhealthy lifestyle for a new, you know, replacement. And I'm like, well, enjoy. Um, <laughs> I think it's a super useful tool because we all get to that place where we just want something else. That was, I remember when I started keto, I was like, if I eat eggs and bacon again, I'm going to mm. puke. Like, mm. I just can't eat that again. <laughs> I need so. something. So um, I think that this is such a beautiful resource, even if you're not keto, even if you're not keto, like, let's say you're just paleo or you're just health minded. It's like, I want a brownie that's made out of real like healthy stuff that isn't going to spike my blood sugar like crazy. Mm. It's like so helpful to have recipes like these. Um, I guess that's my next question is like, what about the flowers? Like, I mean, are coconut and almond the go-tos and how do you, how do you manage that to get like a really amazing treat? Like let's say you're making brownies or cookies or something like that. Oh yeah, totally. So um, it's really interesting. You say, uh, you know, trying to trying to get people on on this. Uh, I, I guess, like you, you know, as you were saying before, keto desserts are something where you would have uh, not not all the time. It, it it doesn't replace a healthy diet, um, but it's good to have them on on hand. So right. if you're and the best way to think about this is that take the thing that you crave the most and just try a keto friendly alternative, and don't mm -hmm. don't replace all the fast food and, you know, all of the stuff in your cupboard with keto-friendly alternatives, just replace one. Um, and that that generally helps in those times of need. But uh, when it comes to flowers, um, so there's three different flowers that I, I tend to gravitate towards, uh, and it depends on people's allergies. So <clears throat> the first one is almond flour. The reason why I say allergies is because people who uh, have nut allergies can't use almond flour and tend to avoid coconut flour as well. But almond flour is really good because it, it um, you can use it as a ratio of one to one for wheat flour. So if you have a recipe from your grandma or, you know, wherever this, uh, you know, recipes come down from, um, if there's three cups of flour, then you can pretty much, uh, you know, get away with using three cups of almond flour. That ratio will always work. Um, when it comes to coconut flour, the ratios get a little bit skewed um, and the, you know, the liquids and stuff need to change. But, you know, using almond flour is really good because you can always get a good recipe or like a very close to recipe to start with. You don't have to test and test and test and test. As you're saying at the start of the podcast, you know, some of these recipes you just need to test 20 <laughs> times to get yeah. right. Um, and like no one has time for that. I, right. I, get, I get paid to do that, but <laughs> no one else has time <laughs> yeah. for that. So um, the, the, there's, a, there's a process where almond flour will work really well if you're trying to replace wheat flour or, you know, um, any other flours that you might have been using prior to the ketogenic diet. Um, coconut flour is really good. Now, the difference between coconut flour and almond flour, coconut flour is slightly higher in carbohydrates, but you only need to use a quarter of the amount. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're trying to make keto bread, instead of using one cup of almond flour, you would use a quarter of a cup or a third of a cup of coconut flour. Then the reason why is that coconut absorbs liquid. And so people get so confused about um, absorption rates and, you know, the how to use coconut flour. Um, mm-hmm. And they're not very good at being able to trans- translate a, an ordinary recipe into coconut flour because it can very, very, very easily turn as dry as a desert. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yes, I've noticed. <laughs> yeah, and, and Been so there. When, yeah. And so when you're using coconut flour, you just need to make sure that there's enough liquid in the recipe and that you're using a quarter of the amount of flour that would usually be used uh, if it was maybe made with wheat flour. So <clears throat> again, if, if you've got one cup of almond flour or one cup of wheat flour, then you would use a quarter of a cup of coconut flour. And you can always test from there. I always find that coconut flour can do uh, different things if you don't have eggs in the recipe. So if there's just butter, then it can turn dry as well. Um, but, you know, use coconut flour at, at, at your own risk. But um, there's a better flour than both of those because, you know, a lot of people in a lot of schools now as well, they you can't take things with nuts in them or peanuts because, you know, uh, it might send some people into anaphylactic shock. And that's that's a real thing. And so um, there's if you if you avoid almonds and if you avoid coconut, try using sesame seed flour because sesame seeds <clears throat> are a seed. Um, and <laughs> they're not a nut, but, uh, you know, you can buy sesame seed flour. Sometimes it can be really bitter because, and I don't know why, but when you buy sesame seed flour, there's a process that they put the actual sesame seeds through that just makes it really bitter when you use it in baking. So what I do is I just buy normal sesame seeds and then put them in a f- food processor and grind them up until it resembles flour. And the best part about sesame seed flour is that you can use it as a one-to-one ratio for wheat flour and co- and almond flour. So if you have wow. a recipe that says, oh, okay, I need one cup of almond flour, and they go, oh, not almond flour again, I'm allergic to nuts, why is almond flour in every single keto dessert? Just switch that with sesame seed flour and you will get a really, really good result. Um, that one's been super handy. Uh, I know that there's a lot of uh, bloggers who – uh, you know, do a lot of nut-free recipes and I haven't heard of sesame seed flour. I'm like, man, come on. Like, <laughs> it's, so, it's so easy and generally it's cheaper than almond flour as well. So, wow, um, or, awesome. Yeah, so yeah, give that one a try in your next baking expeditions. I think um, if, if there's anyone in the house or, you know, maybe at school that may not be able to have nuts, then sesame seeds are the way to go. Oh, that is an awesome tip. Thank you. Um, I, I have to admit, like I looking through your website, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I am making all of this stuff. <laughs> like you're, <laughs> you're like chocolate chip cookie s'mores. I'm like dying. I've got to make uh, these with my kids. So I'm, I, and I'm curious since I have you, I'm like, what, what are your most popular recipes? Yeah. Um, well the chocolate chip cookies, uh, they're, they're probably, um, you know, I, I think <laughs> that the reason why is they just taste so normal. Um, and so people get really confused and they go, I can't believe I can have, um, you know, these chocolate chip cookies, that and probably the fat bombs. Um, and then, you know, second to that's probably the salted caramel cheesecake or yeah. the New York baked cheesecake, cheesecake and, um, you know, ketogenic diets just go really well together because it's essentially yeah. just one, one big fat bomb, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, okay guys. So if you're listening to this, really make sure you're following Aaron on Instagram is fat for weight loss. He posts amazing stuff. His YouTube channel.
great resource. So um, are there, I guess my last question is, do you have any other tips for people um, before? Yes, I, I, I do. So there's, there's probably one big tip and that would be a huge favor to me is that um, at, at, at your local bookstore or, you know, local wherever it is, you can even get it on Amazon. It's called the Keto Sweet Tooth Cookbook. Um, and that book is available for sale now and it contains all of the tips and more. Like if you want to get into the nitty gritty stuff on like binding agents and that sort of stuff when it comes to keto desserts, then that book's going to be really helpful. It's like your one-stop shop resource for keto desserts. Um, and there's a lot of all of my best recipes in there. So definitely yeah. go ahead and check that out. Yeah, absolutely. What's the best place for them to go real quick and find that? Um, Amazon's really good. If you want to get it from a physical bookstore, you can go to Barnes and Noble or Sam's book club. Um, honestly, I, I don't know because I don't live in America and it's been released <laughs> in America first. <laughs> if you are in Australia and you're waiting for it, um, then the release date is set to be September. So depending on when this podcast goes out, um, but you should be able to get it at your local bookstore. If, if you live outside of, um, America, Canada or Australia, you should, you should be able to still get it in your local Amazon. Uh, that's generally the best place to get it. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that's called the Keto Sweet Tooth Cookbook. You guys definitely check it out. Aaron's been doing this for a minute, so you might as well not try to get your ego all in it and think you're going to make <laughs> the best cookie ever when Aaron's been doing it for years. Just let him show you. So <laughs> I'm definitely going to pick that one up. Um, all right, Aaron, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate everything that you're doing to contribute to the keto community and just your like no nonsense approach to like, Hey, let's make this easier and make this more enjoyable for people. So thank you. Uh, and, and thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and I appreciate everyone who's listened so far. Um, it's been, it's been such a blast and I can't wait, can't wait to hear it. Me neither. Thanks so much, Aaron. <laughs> Thanks, Tara.